Today we continue our series in Paul's letter to the Philippians. Despite significant hardship, this letter is overflowing with joy. And so we're asking the question, from where does Paul derive this joy? How is it that Paul can continue rejoicing even in the midst of pain and suffering? There was once a missionary family serving in China, but the Chinese Communist Party came into power and this missionary family was forced to vacate. A band of Chinese soldiers came to their home and they were given two hours to pack up their belongings before these soldiers would return and escort them to the train station. However, they were only permitted to take 200 pounds worth of stuff. And so for the next two hours, they were, they were frantically trying to determine which items to pack. What about the vase? It's a, it's a family heirloom. We have to take the vase. Right, but what about the typewriter? It's brand new. It cost us a fortune. We, we have to take the typewriter. On and on they went, weighing their most prized possessions. They were literally weighing their most prized possessions and separating them into different piles. And by the time the soldiers returned, the missionary family had packed up a pile of possessions totaling exactly 200 pounds. Are you ready? One of the soldiers asked. Yes, they replied. Did you weigh your belongings? Yes, it's all right here, 200 pounds on the dot. How about your children? Did you weigh your children? And in that very moment, in that very instant, the vase and the typewriter and all of their prized possessions became rubbish. None of it meant anything when compared to the surpassing worth of their children. They could actually give up all of their most prized possessions with a, with a sense of pure joy because they had their children and because their children were of far surpassing value. You see, for these missionaries in China, this was a moment of truth. This moment put everything into a new and more proper perspective. And in our passage today, the Apostle Paul describes a similar moment for himself, a moment so revolutionary that all of life had to be reconsidered. All of life came into a new and more proper perspective. Throughout this letter, Paul has been talking a lot about self-emptying. Jesus was willing to empty himself. Timothy and Epaphroditus were willing to empty themselves. And here in chapter 3, Paul demonstrates that he too is willing to empty himself. As we will see, with regard to the law of God, Paul had plenty of reasons to be confident. With regard to the law of God, Paul had plenty of vases and typewriters. But in light of Christ and the gospel, Paul regards all that as rubbish. He empties himself of all that formerly would have been valuable to him, and he places all of his faith and all of his confidence in Jesus Christ alone. Again, all of life had come into a new and more proper perspective for him. Just as the missionary family had their children Paul had Christ. Verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. 
You can tell Paul is a preacher here because he says the word finally, but he's only halfway done talking. Rejoice in the Lord, he says. I know I've said it before, but, but really, rejoice. And we say, I, I hear you, Paul. I've heard you all nine times now. But you have to understand what I'm going through. And Paul replies, and I hear you. And I've been there too. In fact, I'm there as I'm writing this. And, I, and again, I say, rejoice. You see, sometimes it takes an act of the will to trust, an act of the will to rejoice in the Lord through pain and hardship, but that is how mature Christians are made. The hardship of life is meant to be mitigated by Christian joy. Christian joy is supposed to lighten the load, and Christian joy is always possible. It's always available to us. Joy went to the cross Joy went to the grave. Joy descended into hell. And so there is no low, so low, that Christian joy is out of reach. Rejoice in the Lord. Paul continues, To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Paul says, listen, I I know I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again because it's for your safety. Paul is being a stickler here. He is being a, a doctrinal stickler. He is insisting on right doctrine. And at this point, I think, I think many modern Christians tend to roll their eyes People who are sticklers for right doctrine are annoying at best and harmful at worst. But actually, the the church needs doctrinal sticklers. The church doesn't need jerks. Nobody gets to be a jerk for any reason. But the fact that people can misuse doctrine does not mean that we should take doctrine less seriously. It's entirely possible to take doctrine seriously and not be a jerk. When we are not precise concerning Christian truth, people get hurt and the church suffers. And so for our own safety, we need sticklers. But, but what is the doctrine Paul is referring to here? First of all, I think we need to know what Paul means by the word flesh. He puts no confidence in the flesh. When we hear the word flesh, most of us probably think of sexual immorality or perhaps gluttony or drunkenness, things that we do that dishonor our physical bodies. But when Paul refers to flesh in this context, he's primarily talking about physical descent. He's talking about whether whether or not a person is ethnically Jewish. In the ancient world, your ancestry was one of the most important things about you. For Paul to be able to trace his ancestry all the way back to Benjamin, and therefore all the way back to Abraham, was a really big deal. It was a source of pride. But of course, Paul no longer thinks that way. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. He's referring here to the Judaizers 
also known as the circumcision party. If you think about it, circumcision has a lot to do with ancestry. You see, there were some Jewish followers of Christ who wanted to require all non-Jewish followers of Christ to be circumcised in accordance with Jewish law. They believed that all followers of the Jewish Christ needed to become Jews themselves. But this was very wrong, and it was a direct threat to the gospel itself. Now, in calling them dogs and evildoers and mutilators, Paul is being ironic, because these are all words that the Judaizers would have used to describe the pagans. And so Paul is turning the tables and calling them pagans, essentially. What they think is circumcision is actually bodily mutilation because they are worshiping a God of their own making. They are worshiping a so-called God who wants the entire world to become Jewish. But the true God is welcoming all the nations as the nations into the family. Not by circumcision, not by becoming Jewish, but by faith in Christ. So, so don't miss what's at stake there. If salvation is only possible for people who become ethnically Jewish, how can we say that Jesus is the king of kings? In that case, he would only be the king of the Jews. And if salvation is only possible for people who become ethnically Jewish, in what sense did he die for the sins of the whole world? Again, the gospel is at stake here. This speaks, this conflict speaks to the very identity of Christ. And, and the, the truth that Paul is contending for is the truth that sums up his entire life's work. So Paul says, we, we are the circumcision. We are the true sons of Abraham who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in ancestry, no confidence in physical descent. You see, Christ has fulfilled, Christ has fulfilled all that circumcision symbolized by being cut off for our sake. He was cut off from the covenant. He was cut off from communion with the Father. And so the purpose of circumcision was fulfilled at the cross. And then, by his resurrection, Jesus has established a new humanity. He is the firstborn from the dead, right? He is the new Adam. And what matters more than anything is to be one of his descendants, to belong to his family, to belong to the lineage of Christ by faith. And so circumcision is no longer how this happens. As it says in Galatians, in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything, counts for anything, but only faith. We put, therefore, no confidence in circumcision because to be united to Christ is all the ancestry we need. And it's at this point that Paul begins to demonstrate his willingness to be emptied for the sake of Christ. Verse 4, we put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, 
as to zeal a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. In other words, if Paul thought it worthwhile to to put confidence in his Jewishness, he would have every reason to be confident. But his confidence is not in his Jewishness. His confidence is in Christ. Verse 7. Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The word rubbish here is a vulgarity in Greek. It refers to the sort of street garbage that dogs would rummage through. So, in other words, what what used to be good is good no longer because something far better is here. Through the law, human beings could attain to a certain degree of righteousness, but the righteousness that could be attained through the law is not worth comparing to the righteousness that can be attained through Christ. And so for Paul, to be ethnically Jewish was a good thing. To be ethnically Jewish is a good thing. But it's good like a vase is good. It's good like a typewriter is good. It is relatively good. But to belong to Christ is of far surpassing worth. A few weeks ago, I mentioned that Paul's entire letter is about this conflict between two different types of citizenship, Roman citizenship and heavenly citizenship. Well, here we see that Paul had good reason to boast in the flesh. He was a true Israelite, a Hebrew of Hebrews, but he was willing to lay all of that aside for an even greater citizenship. He was a citizen of the kingdom of Christ. Now, Most of the Christians in Philippi were probably not Jewish, but they too had reason to boast in the flesh because they were Roman citizens. But Paul is calling them to lay all that aside. He says, follow my example. Empty yourselves of your Romanness. Take hold of your heavenly citizenship. Boast in that. Boast in the fact that you belong to Christ by faith. What is the nation of Israel when compared to the kingdom of Christ? What is the Roman Empire when compared to the kingdom of Christ? What is the United States of America when compared to the kingdom of Christ? What could ever compare to the surpassing worth of knowing the King of Kings and belonging to His kingdom? It is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up, then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. It is like a missionary family who forfeits the loss of all their possessions for the joy of having their children. The things we tend to regard as important are often very good things, but they are good like vases are good. They are good like typewriters are good. And when we are faced with that moment of truth, 
the thing that surpasses everything else is for us to be found in Christ, to belong to him first and foremost, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that we may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible we may attain the resurrection from the dead. So, to summarize today's passage, belonging to Christ has nothing to do with circumcision or anything that might make a person ethnically Jewish. Belonging to Christ has everything to do with faith. Belonging to Christ has everything to do with knowing Christ. But knowing Christ is not a matter of knowing and confessing the right facts about Jesus. Paul desires communion with Christ. Communion with Christ through prayer and fellowship and worship, through water and bread and wine, and yes, even through suffering. Paul wants to experience all of Christ. He wants to experience the power of his resurrection. He wants to share in his sufferings. He wants to become like him in his death. Paul no longer cares about vases or typewriters. He wants Christ, all of Christ, even the hard parts of belonging to Christ. He would rather suffer than be comfortable if suffering meant that he could experience more of Christ. It's pretty intense, right? Yeah. So listen, if, if you struggle, if you find yourself struggling to say for yourself what Paul is saying here in Philippians chapter 3, uh, I think that's okay to a degree. Paul was a mature Christian man at this point. But Let's allow the Bible to challenge us where we need to be challenged. Perhaps this is a moment of truth for you. Perhaps it's time to start weighing your things. Where are you looking for joy? And is joy really to be found there? What are the things in your life today that need to be relativized by the surpassing worth of knowing Christ? What are the things in your life that are in need of a demotion? What do you deem valuable that is actually pretty disposable? Your job, your income, your home, your cars, your toys, your free time, your education, your alma mater, your reputation. Cling to those things of surpassing worth and cling, most of all, to Christ by faith. Pray with me. <coughs> Heavenly Father, to belong to your family is what is of surpassing worth. Thank you for opening your arms wide enough to encompass even us. Jesus, you are the faithful elder brother who sought us out when we were far away, and we thank you for that. We cling to you by faith. Holy Spirit, lead us 
to where true joy is actually to be found in knowing Christ, in belonging to his kingdom. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.